I'm Natalia Lobach, and this is Change Course. A brief history of change management. This week, I'm going to do a deep dive into the origins of change management, um, some of the leading theories, and this is meant to be a bit of a primer into the field for those of you who might be interested in learning more or um, just want to get to know change management a little bit better. So what I love about this field is that it's really quite new. So the very first model of change that was introduced was in 1950. So I know for some of you that might seem like ancient history, but for me, like that's pretty recent. Um, You know, my mom was born in 1950. So it's, to me, it's not that long ago. Uh, And certainly thinking about uh, the age of a field and how different um, intellectuals and researchers and people have contributed to it, really, um, you know, it it's ripe for improvement, it's ripe for innovation, and there's so much more that can be said about change today because of the environment that we live in. So if we think back to 1950, I mean, it's post-war, uh, and by when I say post-war, I mean post-World War II in North America um, and in Europe. So, you know, the first person to introduce a change management idea or the idea of change um, is Kurt Lewin. And Kurt Lewin was an American, um, developed the change management model um, that holds his name in the 1950s. And in 1950, a lot of organizations, uh, professional organizations were hierarchical, built on the industrial model. I mean, this was really the post-industrial age and, you know, a lot of organizations were very rigid in terms of structure and function. And so when um, Lewin introduced the model, it had three phases, unfreeze, change, and refreeze. So it's this idea that there is, you know, this future state and, you know, this desire to go to a future state Um, And so what you do is you unfreeze the organization, um, you know, you make the changes of what needs to happen, and then you implement the change, you put it into practice, and then you refreeze. So this is where um, you realign the organization and you, uh, you know, you freeze it back into a solid state uh, such that the change continues and is fixed. Now, as the first model of change, I think it was really interesting to observe at the time how effective change could happen in highly um, structured hierarchical organizations, you know, that are built on an industrial model. Of course, this makes sense um, because (laughs) you've got to get everyone away from what they're doing, focus on how they're going to change, and then realign that structure such that the change sticks. And it totally makes sense. 
But of course, as things, you know, as the world continued to modernize, as organizations continued to evolve, um, as we started to look at change in, you know, some different um, ways in some different areas, you started to see some other models emerge. So of course, Cotter is one of the most uh, widely known and the most quote unquote famous models of change. So John Cotter, uh, who's still alive today, again, that's why, you know, change is so interesting because a lot of these big thinkers are still here to, you know, continue to contribute to the field. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting stuff. So John Cotter's model is, uh, you know, it's an eight step model and it really focuses on change leadership. So I'll link the book in the show notes as well so you can refer to it. Um, It's really interesting in terms of looking at, again, highly structured organizations where you're looking at um, hierarchy, where you're looking at, um, you know, strong leadership focused organizations. And so you know, this is one where you're going to see that focus on change leadership. Cotter's model has eight steps. So first, create a sense of urgency to motivate people. Second, build your change team with leaders and change agents. Um, So, you know, build your guiding coalition. That's, you know, how he talks about it. Three, define the vision. Four, communicate, communicate, communicate. Five, um, identify the roadblocks and uh, get get them out of the way. Six, create some quick wins. Identify some of those short term goals, quick wins that you can achieve in order to uh, hasten and get momentum in your change and keep it achievable. Seven, Keep up that momentum. So combination of communication, quick wins, uh, you know, real at hand tasks. And then eight, maintain the changes after um, the initial project is complete. So continue to operate in this new model, continue to operate in this new way. So there is uh, another book um, that Cotter wrote called My Iceberg is Melting. And this is, uh, it's, where he takes the model, the eight-step model, and turns it into a fable about penguins who need to leave their iceberg because it is melting. Um, It's a really adorable book. And it's another really good way to bring the model to life. Now, I will... um, put some caveats out there for this particular model. So Cotter's model is great for um, highly leadership driven organizations, hierarchical organizations, um, but it really doesn't address some of the environmental um, impacts, uh, you know, the context of the organization, as well as the interpersonal relationships that occur. So it's a really, you know, the assumption is in a organization where Cotter's model is going to work is that everybody is aligned and facing towards leadership. 
Now, you know, this can work in some organizations and in others, it it will just fall flat. The other thing is that where this might have worked really well in the 80s, um, you know, creating a burning platform. So if you hear people talk about creating a burning platform for change, um, you know, manufacturing a crisis, this is really the model that they're talking about. That's where this idea comes from, that burning platform of change. Well, you know, today in organizations, they're, you know, people make up their own minds. Um, Creating a burning platform to create motivation doesn't really align with behavioral science. Uh, You know, there's a couple things here where, you know, in some places and situations it's going to work, but in others it's just not. It's just not going to work. And, um, you know, a lot of people are skeptical of things like burning platforms for good reason. And, um, you know, if you're going to go this way, you've really got to make sure that your, um, you know, your reasons and your why for change are strongly rooted in reality. And there isn't sensationalism that is being used to drive, uh, you know, motivation, change, all of that stuff. Plus, like you don't want in an organization fear to be driving the change. And what a burning platform often does is it creates fear or it wants to create fear to motivate people. Um, And most people aren't really motivated by fear. So, um, you know, it's a really important work to read because it helps to set the foundation of what this practice is and, you know, what the information is and, you know, how all these theories come together. So I highly encourage you to, you know, take a look at the two resources. Uh, I'll link them in the show notes. So the original work from John Carter, as well as the fable of My Iceberg is Melting. So one of the next ones that I want to talk about is the Bridges transition model. So created by William Bridges. This one emphasizes the emotional transition of people. And that's where we start to get into this emotional piece around change. And so you can see how Bridges' work links to the Kubler-Ross change curve, um, which I will link again. And we've talked about Kubler-Ross in previous episodes. So the Bridges transition model is what I like to use as a leadership model. So when I'm introducing leaders to the concept of change leadership, this is the work that I lean on most often because it's really easy for leaders to understand and it helps leaders understand their role in change and transition. So phase one, ending, losing, and letting go. So talking about those emotional responses to change helps leaders anticipate and expect those responses from people. The neutral zone. This is where the change is starting to coalesce and take shape. You're really finding your way through the woods, figuring things out. And then the new beginning. So as you're moving through change, it really helps leaders to frame the change in a way that's positive, um, helps individuals find their own path through the change, and then also really focuses on that future vision, that new beginning, 
which is an excellent way to help motivate and move people through change. So rather than using a fear tactic, like a burning platform, what you're doing is you're building this vision for the future. You're building this idea of a future state that becomes very attractive to the people that you're leading. I like to think of Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's model as a adjunct to Bridges. Now, they you know, (laughs) developed their work in different fields and they're highly complementary, which I find really interesting. So again, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model, um, and I'll link the works that I have previously spoken about. So on death and dying, on grief and grieving, um, and then David Kessler's Finding Meaning, which is the sort of trilogy in that space around management of loss, um, you know, and talking about those complex emotions as we move through grief and loss. So as a reminder, if we're thinking about bridges and we marry these together, the the process of ending, losing and letting go when you're in that first phase of bridges is really where individuals will start to face that change and may start to have those complex emotions. So the denial, anger, bargaining, depression, that's where you're getting into those really strong, um, you know, that really strong cycle, that those negative emotions that are coming up. And again, as I mentioned, um, Kubler-Ross's work is not meant to be linear. Um, People can arrive at any of those stages and move through them in in different ways. It's not linear. You don't start at denial, go to anger, go to bargaining, go to depression. That's not how it works. And I'm sure for many of you who have personal experiences in change and loss, you'll understand that that really isn't the way that it goes. So the Kubler-Ross model, um, you know, focusing on those first four sort of negative emotions aligning with bridges in that first phase of the endings, then moving into the neutral zone where you're starting to, um, you know, find different ways. There's a discovery phase. And in in the Kubler-Ross change curve, which I'm going to link, it's on um, the EKR Foundation website, It's actually not in a book, um, but you can take a look at it there. And it actually breaks that process down a little bit more for individuals around, you know, how do you start to integrate and learn um, about what the change means and how do you move forward? So that neutral zone is really, you know, as we're talking about bridges, that neutral zone where you're exploring and figuring out, um, you know, and finding new ways to do things. And then moving into the new beginning aligns really nicely with uh, the Kubler-Ross phase of acceptance and integration. So you accept the change, you start to integrate it and start to act in a new way. um, And the emotional response to this is highly, highly positive. Another work that's highly aligned with the Bridges model is, and I'm sure you've heard of it if you've been anywhere in change the last, I don't know, 40 years, um, the Who Moved My Cheese. So again, it's a lovely little fable about mice in a maze trying to find some cheese. 
um, and the cheese starts to dwindle and there are some mice who handle it really well. Um, and then there are other mice who, uh, don't. And it's, again, it's, it's a story. It's a way to introduce and talk about, um, positive change behaviors. And, you know, there's a little bit more in there about how to react and respond to change. Interestingly, it is aligned with one of, uh, like it's aligned with Bridges, but then it's also aligned with ADCAR, which is another newer model. So again, ADCAR founded by Jeff Hyatt in 1994. So within my lifetime, <laughs> I won't get into how old I am, but um, you know, that is well within my lifetime. It's not that long ago. Uh, I remember 1994. Um, so the ADCAR model, again, it's one of the more popular ones today because it does focus on the individual, the individual's response and integration of change. So ProSci, uh, which is the company that Jeff Hyatt founded, um, and, you know, they've developed this whole methodology around change, and it really is one of the leading methodologies today. So the ADCAR model, A-D-K-A-R, awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement, talks to that journey through change for the individual and how you need to organize your change to make it successful. So ProSci has a number of other pieces of methodology that go along with it. Um, but essentially to make change successful, you build awareness. So you communicate, you make sure everyone who is affected knows about the change. They know what's happening. You build desire. So different than the Cotter burning platform, again, more aligned with the Bridges transition model, looking at how you build that positive association with change, that looking forward, that desire, that want um, to make that change. The what's in it for me, um, as we always talk about. Um, I had one um, client that I was working with and uh, he always used to say, hit him with the with him, just like W-I-F-F-M, what's in it for me. And whenever I talk about this, I always think of him um, and it just makes me laugh a little bit. Uh, next piece is knowledge. So this is really, okay, so you want to change, you've got the desire, but the knowledge, like you need information, you need to understand what it is that you're going to do, what it is that you're going to do differently. Then you have to pair that with ability. So like, do you have to learn a new skill? Do you have to be trained? Um, you know, and this is really applicable for things like technology implementations. Um, this is my favorite model to use with technology, uh, you know, because you need to build that awareness, that desire, that knowledge, like what is going to be different than the ability, that training, that skill development is very important. Reinforcement is also really key. So this is, you know, where you look at the environment, the context, and you continue to work with the stakeholders, you continue to bed down those change behaviors, and um, you really wanna make sure that the change sticks. So you build that in with positive reinforcement um, and you know different incentives to stick with the change or you know make it really difficult to go back to the old way of doing things. 
So what I like about AdCart um, and ProSize model is that, you know, it really does focus on that individual journey. So what do you need to do to support individuals through that process of change? Um, where some of the pieces are missing is around the environment, the context, um, you know, how you build, uh, you know, momentum and some of those uh, relationships and connections around it, as well as um, the political and organizational environment. The last model I'm going to talk about today is the McKinsey 7S. And again, like, you know, you can see it on the McKinsey website, but it's really hard to get a lot of really detailed information because it is proprietary to that consulting firm. Um, but, you know, at a high level, it does highlight some concepts um, that are really helpful to understand. So um, seven steps or seven phases in this model in each one starts with an S. So first is strategy. So understanding the strategy of the change Two, the structure of the organization. Three, the systems and the processes that you're looking at for uh, shared values and culture. Five, style or manner of the work. Six, the staff. Seven, the skills. So it's interesting because for me, when I'm looking at this, the McKinsey model marries something like um, a business model. So it marries the concept of the business model, the organizational model um, with the concept of change. And this is actually really important. So if you're looking at um, change in an organization, you actually have to get quite deep into um, where your business model, your operating model is and what that operating model is and what it contains. And so it it is a good way. And it, I think McKinsey is more focused on organizational transformation, holistic transformation, as opposed to change implementation on a micro scale. So this is more of a macro scale type of model. What I like about it is that it integrates business operating model with the idea of change. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, it's, to me, it appears to be heavily based in analysis and understanding. Um, but again, if you're looking at implementation, um, those implementation pieces are, you're going to find a lot more detail in some of the other models that I've mentioned. So these are not all of the change models and change theories that are out there. There are a ton. And this environment in this field is rapidly expanding, which is so exciting. So there are a couple different models out there. So there's nudge, uh, nudge theory that's come out that's new. There's uh, the LaMarche model, which is a little bit older. Um, that one has been around that started in the 90s as well. And, you know, there's these constantly changing ideas about what works in change, how to make change stick. Um, you know, and getting into a lot of different ideas about what makes change effective in today's environment. And given that organizations have changed a lot, um, you know, we have this environment of highly integrated, uh, highly connected, technology supported organizations and communities. The field of change continues to expand. And 
This is where I'm going to stop today for, you know, the background and the history of some of the existing models that are out there. And I'm going to do another episode on where the cutting edge is. So what are some of the newest ideas and newest theories that are coming out um, that are highly linked to uh, behavioral science, uh, behavior change, these kinds of things? And what are some of the newer tools that are out there that are now starting to be deployed and employed in change. I hope you found this helpful. Again, everything that I talked about today and all of the resources are going to be linked on the website. So look for this episode um, and the primer, as I'm going to call it, of all of the resources. I do want to do a shout out at the end of this episode to Chris Britton, who helped me uh, with some of this work. So pulling all of this together. Uh, So big thank you to Chris for helping me with that, um, you know, throughout 2021 last year. Uh, You've really set me up for success. And I hope that you can see, uh, you know, the the work that you have done and how you've helped contribute to uh, the work that will continue. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, sharing, rating, and subscribing because it helps others find us. Change Course is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And we also have an accessible version on YouTube with fully edited captions. So check out our YouTube channel, which I've linked in the show notes. And you can also see our other series, Change the Conversation, which is an interview series with change leaders. Show notes are available at www.charthouse.ca. And while you're there, look for the Change Course Podcast. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter, where you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change, what we're working on, and our latest research. Thank you again for listening. And remember, it's never too late to change course.